All right, if you have a Bible with you and you would like to open that up and turn to the book of Acts, as you open your Bible, there are two groupings of books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The book of Acts is in the New Testament toward the end of the Bible. It's the fifth book there. You have four Gospels and then the book of Acts. And you're more than, open to, or more than welcome to open up your phone. And many of you have a copy of the Bible on your phone, and that's a great way to access God's Word. If you don't, if you have a smartphone and don't have a copy of the Bible on there, there are several free apps that you can access to be able to have, have God's Word with you and, and, and look at it in that way. We are going through a series of teachings on Sunday morning. We are committed to studying God's Word in chunks as we study through it and understand what God is saying to us through His Word. And so right now, we're looking at the book of Acts. As you begin to exit here in a few minutes, you'll see these multicolored bookmarks that kind of show you how our church is reading through the book of Acts. Even if you're not a part of First Baptist Church, we would invite you to take one of these and read the book of Acts together with us. Also on that worship guide, that bulletin that you got when you came in, on the back, you'll notice there are some notes, just kind of a general uh, outline or framework that, that you're more than welcome to take out and follow along with. I'll also point you to the fact that on the bottom of the back of your bulletin, there are some resources there. Just some, we're going to be talking about opposition to the gospel this morning from Acts chapter 4. And the, uh, the reality is that around the world, Christians are being opposed for their faith in many different ways. And these are some resources you can use to learn more about that, to pray for that for them. The first book on there, Safely Home. I know many of you enjoy reading fiction or reading books and sharing them with one another. This would be a great book for you to buy, read, and then just share with a friend to learn more about what it means to live for your faith uh, around the world. Now, I recognize we're a little further into our service than we normally would be when it comes to the sermon time, so don't panic. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be all right. But if you'll just give us 20 minutes together here to look at God's word and to say, what does God want to say to us through this passage? We are, we are committed to studying God's word, to understanding it. And so we want to do that together for, for a few minutes this morning. So I'd like to read to you from the book of Acts in chapter 4. And if you have that in front of you, you can follow along with me as we, as we read that together this morning. Acts chapter 4, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It's kind of funny that that phrase greatly disturbed, in other translations it says annoyed. They were frustrated with him. They were annoyed by what they were doing. Verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. More than that, counting their their families. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then in verse 13 it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, means they didn't talk too good. They just they, they didn't have the education. Unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of how this man who couldn't walk was healed in the name of Jesus. And even though he was healed, some people didn't like that. They didn't like what was happening. They didn't understand what was happening. And they were trying to oppose this message. God, help us to understand what it means when your work is opposed in this world, when your work is tried, uh, is worked against in our lives. And we pray for your, your understanding this morning as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived in a huge, beautiful castle with her family. One day, she decided to head off to a faraway land, and so she went on this journey that took her through the woods, and she went to this faraway land, and she visited the people there. And after she had visited the people there, she decided to return home. And so she returned back home to her family, and she continued to live there in that castle, the end. Now, what's wrong with that story? What, what's, the first thing wrong with that story is you should feel very sorry for my kids at bedtime, uh, if, if that's the extent of, of what they get at bedtime. And so, uh, but, but we know there's something wrong with that story. What's wrong with the story? Where's the wolf? Where's the dragon? Where's the people hiding in the woods who are coming out? Where, where's the opposition? We know that every story, or at least every good story, better than the one I just told, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be an adversary. There's always going to be someone or something trying to stop what's happening in the story. And sometimes, when we come to the Bible, and we come to Christianity... Our view of Christianity is so quaint and so sappy and so boring, kind of like that little fairy tale that I tried to tell, because we miss the intensity of the story that is happening. We forget that what God is doing throughout Scripture is He is working this incredible story. He's working these incredible miracles. He's doing all these things in the world and yet from the very beginning of the Bible, what is there? There's opposition. There's an adversary. There is someone or something that is trying to stop the movement of God's Spirit, trying to stop what God is doing in the world. And sometimes we miss that. We miss that simple reality 
When God works in your life, and many of you could testify to this, when God works in your life and God works in your family and God begins to work in a church, what's going to happen? There's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that happen. There's going to be people that show up. There's going to be events that unfold that oppose, that stand against what God is trying to do. If we're ever trying to understand, do we really grasp the Bible? Do we really grasp who God is? One of the great things that you can do is try to tell the story of the Bible to someone else in the version of a story. In other words, don't just tell individual Bible stories, but can you really tell Scripture? Can you communicate Scripture to someone as a story, what God is doing in the world? One of the resources that we gave to the parents up here during the parent-child dedication is something called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Grandparents, godparents, anyone looking to, to buy a resource for your, for your kids or people in your family, the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids, you know, who are getting up in, in a little bit, or there's another book called the Big Picture Storybook Bible. It has big pictures, but it also tells the big picture of Scripture. If you're looking for a resource or a book to buy for someone in your family to help them understand who Jesus is, in fact, even if you're an adult, we can benefit from these storybooks. So many of the kids' storybook Bibles that you pick up at the store, they have this story and this story and this story. They tell about Noah. They tell about Jonah. They tell about Jesus. But they're just these different stories. And people don't understand how they connect together. And really, in order to really understand the Bible, we don't need to know how the Bible stories connect together. And these little kid books do that better than any resource that, that I know of. And so if you're not able to write those titles down or you forget them, feel free to email or call me at some point. But the point is that when we think about what God is doing in the world, one of the realities that exists is that there will always be opposition. And we see that in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3, just before this, God has used Peter and John in the name of Jesus to heal a man who couldn't walk. And so he is given new life. He is able to walk. He's able to worship the Lord. And some people don't like it. They don't like what has happened. And so as we start to think about this story, we think about opposition, we need to think about what that opposition looks like. And some of the most dangerous opposition we can face in life is internal opposition. Here's what I mean. When I was playing sports, in my short and not very illustrious sports career, one of the things that our coach would always say is don't beat yourself. Don't beat yourself. That's when you end up causing more trouble for your own team than the other team actually causes. It's the idea that you become your worst enemy. You commit fouls, you commit turnovers, you commit penalties, and ultimately you end up beating yourself. The opposition to what's trying to happen comes from the inside. This happens in marriages all the time. Let me just tell you one thing to remember as you're working through those challenges of marriage, as you're working through those rough patches, you're working through those hard times, one of the things that Amanda and I have committed to say and one of the things that we will share with couples who are going through counseling is no matter what is happening in that marriage, the other person is never the enemy. 
Sometimes we get this idea that the other person becomes the enemy. We live in a world where there is opposition to marriage, where there is opposition to family, and that opposition will come, but we cannot have that opposition coming from the inside. We can't become our own worst enemy. We can't beat ourselves. And so as you're working through marriage, remember that the other person is never the enemy. You have an enemy trying to defeat your marriage, but that other person cannot become that enemy. And so what all of this points to, and this is kind of the first point on the notes, is that opposition, in this case, came from the inside. It came from the religious people. What's going on here in chapter 4? Look back at verse 1 again, if you've got your Bible or your phone open. Notice how Acts chapter 4 starts. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Okay, who are the priests? Who's the captain of the temple? Who are the Sadducees? What's going on here? These groups of people that are mentioned in verse 1 here, they were the people who controlled the temple. They controlled the religious establishment. At this point in history, the Roman Empire was in control of what was happening in this area. And this group... They had developed this relationship with Rome where if they just kept the peace in Jerusalem, these groups that are mentioned here in verse 1, they would profit. And so they wanted to keep the status quo. They didn't need revolt. They didn't need trouble. They just wanted to be in control of the religious establishment so they could have power and they can make money. So these people are in control of the religious establishment. Here's something that we have to remember. And if you go home with nothing else, I want you to go home with this. When God's Spirit begins to move, quite often the most intense opposition comes from whom? The religious people. It comes from religious people. Because when God begins to move in people's lives, and God begins to change people's lives, and God begins to move in a church, the religious people get scared because their power, their control might go away. And this is something that we have to let set in because you may be here this morning and think, I just came to see my kid seen or I just came because my grandkid was here and and I don't feel very religious. That's a good place to start because the religious people are often the ones who are most opposed to real works of God in the world because religious people are often more intent on protecting their traditions or protecting their power or protecting their control than they really are intent on seeing God's Spirit move. Parents and grandparents, as you are raising your children, do not raise them to be religious people. Do not raise them to protect religious traditions and ideas Raise them and point them toward a God who heals. Raise them and point them toward Jesus. Point them toward this incredible story of the gospel, of what God is doing in Scripture. It does not matter that your kid or your grandkid grows up to be a religious person. What matters is that your kid or your grandkid grows up to give their life to Jesus Christ. That is where transformation happens. We don't want to make better churchgoers. We want to make and see developed people whose lives are transformed from the inside out. 
And when God begins to move, that opposition will come from those religious people. What is referenced here in verse 2, it says, why were they disturbed? They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, one of the things we know about the Sadducees is they did not believe in the resurrection, or they did not promote the idea of a resurrection. Because resurrection, dead people coming back to life, that messes things up. (laughs) That, That messes with the way that we understand the world. And so the Sadducees, they didn't need resurrection. They didn't want life change. They just wanted things to go on as they always have. And we have to ask ourselves, are we more concerned with seeing people's lives change or are we more concerned with just seeing things go on like they always have? Because when people's lives are changed, things get shaken up. People are healed. People's marriages are put back together. People live their lives for different reasons. Things are changed, and that can mess with religious people if we're not careful. Here's the second point of your notes is that even when opposition comes, it doesn't stop the work of God's Spirit. God is still moving. Look down in verse 3. It says, They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, we might be tempted to read that verse and think that was the end. People gave up because their leaders were put in prison. Look at verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Just because opposition is happening to the spread of the gospel doesn't mean that God's Spirit has stopped working. It may just mean that He is working in locations and working in ways that we wouldn't have expected. The spread of the gospel... The spread of the message about Jesus is kind of like chunky peanut butter. It doesn't always spread easily. There are sometimes bumps along the way, but it's so worth it. It is so good. You guys may have noticed on Facebook that my wife has converted from creamy peanut butter to chunky peanut butter, the way it should happen. You know, it might mess up the bread, but it's worth it in the end. And so this idea that when opposition comes, it doesn't stop the spread of the gospel. God is continuing to work. And in fact, often God works in some of the most powerful ways where that opposition is occurring at the greatest degree. Places where the church is being opposed, places where believers are being persecuted is oftentimes where the church is growing the most. There are really about four places in the world right now that the church is not growing very much. Japan, Australia, Western Europe, and the U.S. Those are about the four places where the gospel is not growing. What kind of holds those places together? Japan, Australia, Western Europe, the U.S. Well, it's largely held together by this Western ideal that that we have, this idea of what it means to be a free person, what it means to live a comfortable life. The gospel is absolutely exploding. People are turning to Jesus in thousands upon thousands in places like China and India, throughout sub-Saharan Africa. These places that are dark and difficult and hard to get to, the number of Christians is growing exponentially. Where the opposition is happening, 
The Spirit of God has not stopped working. In fact, He's working in some of those powerful ways right there. And so we need to widen our gasp, or our, we need to widen our view and understand what God is doing in the world around us. Here's the third point, and the final one we're going to look at. Opposition, when it comes, must not change our focus on Jesus. Look at verse 5. So they've been put in prison, but the number of believers is still growing. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, so the guy who was kind of in charge, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, but he has become the cornerstone. And then listen to verse 12. We're going to leave verse 12 up on the screen. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That verse right there. As we think about what it means to be a church, as we think about what it means to be Christians, as you think about what it means to be parents or godparents or grandparents, as you're working in your kids' lives, point them to Jesus. He is the one who brings salvation. In the book of Acts, when the author Luke is talking about salvation, what he's talking about is wholeness, putting lives back together, sin wrecks our lives, sin wrecks our relationships, sin wrecks the world around us. Salvation is when God restores that, puts that back together in someone's life. And it says right here that salvation is found in no one else except Jesus. And you say, that's exactly why I don't like church. That's exactly why I don't like Christian people, because you're so exclusive. You're saying that the only way a person can be saved is through Jesus? Yes. But I would argue with you that it doesn't make Christians the most exclusive people. It makes us the most inclusive people. And here's what I mean by that. We are saying the only hope for salvation is found in Jesus. But do you know who can come to Jesus? Everyone. And you know how we come to Jesus? Not by how religious we are, not by how, how many good things we do, not because of our family's religious heritage, not because of how many religious re- rituals we participate in. We come to Jesus broken and say, you are the one who has made salvation possible. Because of your death, because of your resurrection, it is in you that we find salvation. And so Jesus doesn't become a fuzzy spiritual idea. He doesn't become this just random teacher who we have to follow his ways in order to be made right with God. He becomes savior. He becomes rescuer. He becomes king and lord of our lives. And so when it says that salvation is found in no one else, don't go away saying, oh, they're just exclusive. They don't care about anybody else. This is the most inclusive, the most hope-giving 
verse that could ever be provided to know that salvation is available for little kids as they grow up to understand about Jesus. Salvation is available to people on their deathbed as they come to the end of their lives and realize their need for salvation. And it's available to everyone in between. And so I don't know what your religious background is. I don't know what your view of Jesus is. But what I would want you to know is that by His grace, by His life, He has provided salvation. He is the one who forgives sins. He is the one who puts our life back together. He is the one who offers life for eternity. And I pray that you will turn to Him for salvation. I pray that you will find that salvation in Him. And so what happens when this opposition comes? They don't grow afraid They don't turn away from Jesus. They remain committed to the mission. And then at the end of Acts 4, it says that they're gathered together for prayer. And you know what they pray? They don't pray that all the hard times will go go away. They don't pray that God will give them an easy life. They pray for boldness. That in the midst of this opposition, that they will have boldness to remain committed to Jesus. One of the places where the gospel is spreading more than any other right now is in Cuba. The number of churches that are being started there, the number of Christians who are growing up is, is expanding almost faster than, than, than the researchers can count. And so the gospel is growing and expanding in Cuba in some incredible ways. There's one church there that started about 15 years ago in Cuba. And the way that these churches start in Cuba is they start in someone's house, and then oftentimes they'll kind of just randomly build a patio off to the side to give them a little bit more room. And then kind of when the government's not necessarily watching, they'll fill in the patio to give them a little bit more space for more believers to come, and the church will grow out like this. But this one church planter decided that God was calling him against government opposition to build a church so that more believers could come there to worship. And so he built this church, and the government found out about it and started to come toward the church to take it over, to take away the building. And the believers and some of the people from the community walked out in front of the church, held hands, made kind of a barrier around the church, and said, you can take our church, but you're going to have to take us first. And the government officials walked up, saw the courage of the people, and turned around and went the other way. And that church is being used by God to send missionaries into the hills, into the mountainous regions where people have not heard about the gospel. Opposition is strong against the gospel in Cuba, but God's Spirit is working in powerful ways. And He's working as people have committed themselves to Jesus and said, whatever it costs, we are going to be about spreading the gospel. And that's what we have to make a decision of in Bay St. Louis. It's what we have to make a decision of in Hancock County. Are we going to be more concerned with preserving our religious traditions, with protecting the ways that we've always done things, or are we sold out to see Jesus Christ transform people's lives? to see him move in ways that we've never seen him move before. As we come to the end of our service, what we're going to do today is we're just going to have a time of prayer 
oftentimes we'll, we'll stand and we'll sing songs together. But what I want us to do at the end of our service today is I just want to lead you through a time of prayer. Corey is going to play in the background just to provide us with, with some music. But I would ask that you would commit yourself to prayer right now. And if you need to talk with someone about what God is doing in your life, After the service, I'm just going to stay over here to the side. People are going to be going out to get hot dogs and play games. Other people are going to be going out the main door because they need to go home. I'm just going to be over here to the side. And it would be my honor to pray for you, to talk to you about what God is doing in your family, what he's doing in your life. But if you would, bow your head with me just for a minute. I just want to walk us through a time of prayer as we come to the end of our service. I know it's been good to see these kids seen, to see these new parents study God's word.